0: Hello and welcome to Dial F for Flanger. Dial F for Flanger is a chat show where I talk to someone about something and that someone today is a guy called Sean Ross and Sean is of similar age to me, probably a little bit younger, lucky him. Um, But Sean, we're going to talk about Starman, Starman the comic Mm -hmm. and not just any Starman, like there's been so many Starmen um, and Star ladies, persons, Um, but yeah, so Starman was a Silver Age, uh, no, a Golden Age hero. So um, it had a green outfit, a fin, flew around with um, uh, a yellow torch in his hand, um, did stuff. And then uh, there was the well, – how would you describe Will Payton, Starman, Sean? Uh, I would describe
1: him as a post-crisis attempt at reinvigorating a brand. And that was a, really successful for some people. I loved Will Payton because he was from my hometown. But it is he is definitely – a uh editing room floor kind of i mean like the the jack knight the hero to come that we're going to talk about is definitely the the brighter shining star of the starman legacy
0: yeah um the will payton starman uh, i was in on the series at the start you know i, I was quite mm-hmm. into it but i mean he is what i would describe in australian vernacular as a dag like he's just not <laughs> very cool
1: yeah We talked about him recently on uh, one of our shows, A NeverEnding Reading Pile, and we called him Milk Toast, just (laughs) the the, the wonder bread, the white bread of superheroes. Again, I have great fondness for him. I loved his series. I was a big fan of him. I'm a big Roger Stern fan, big Tom Lyle fan, but definitely – there aren't a ton of us clamoring for his return.
0: <laughs> now listen to that. I'm always curious of you two because you always like uh, you and Greg. We always like, oh well, you know, everyone voted for this because they like this the best. That's not why we vote. We vote because we want to hear it talked about. So you know, that's, that's true. Right. That's there true. is a big difference. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, there is, and, and it's fun for me because the votes always fall a very specific way where it's something I'm excited about and Greg is a total curmudgeon about, and so it plays into the whole odd coupleness of our show, which I love.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my experience with Starman is, um, yes, I knew of the early one, uh, just, you know, from I think I had the greatest Golden Age stories ever told or something. Um, I was all in on Will Payton Starman, he sort of got etched out at the end with um, Eclipso came in and then they killed him off in The Darkness Within mini-series. Mm-hmm. It's an event. It's an event. C-D-C-O-C-D. It's an event. It was D-C-O-C-D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, well, I have an interesting... The first time I heard about the Starman series, I think I read about it in previews or something, but I was at a comic, comic convention in... What year would it have been? It would have been... 94? Early 1994, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, Archie Goodwin was there. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and I, you know, I know, he's a bit of a legend. I don't know much about him. I was one of those fairly new comic people at that point, so I didn't have a whole stack of things for him to sign. Uh, but I, I did go up and talk to him, and I, I said, "What are you editing at the moment that you're excited about?" And he said, oh, "I'm doing this series called Starman," and I, and he showed me the the front cover, a black and white, you know, photocopy of it. And he's like, "What do you, you know? Does that look like it's interesting?" I said, "I'm not really into occult stuff." Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, based on the covers, that's not a bad guess.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a guy with this sort of Zodiac jacket, and mm-hmm. it kind of looks all dark and broody, and he's going, oh, no, it's not really like that at all. It's, it's, you know, it's it's tied into the the history of Starmen and everything, and it's, it's really interesting. And he said, you should read this comic called The Golden Age, because um, this is by the same guy who wrote it, and um, oh. that led to me reading The Golden Age, which became one of my favourite comics ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and... At the same time, I just, you know, James Robinson stuff was around, but I hadn't connected at all to being the same bloke. And then suddenly it was, oh, firearm, that's James Robinson. And then I was all in on James Robinson by the time Starman started. So, uh, you know, it was he was my first um, must-buy comic creator. So mm-hmm. I went back and bought everything that he'd came out with earlier, like uh, 67 Seconds and uh, London's Dark and stuff that no one's ever heard of or talks about. Yeah, when Starman was up and running, I was, you know, the James Robinson collector in Australia, as far as I know. (laughs) So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, this is a story, like, apparently, and uh, Archie Goodwin said this, was he took on Starman because it gave him the opportunity to do what Alan Moore did with Swamp Thing, was um, find Mm -hmm. a character that's, you know, the name is fairly stagnant um, and not very fresh and do something where no one is expecting you to do anything with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So one of the things he did was, um, you know, there's all these these Starmen in DC DC Comics history. Let's integrate them into one big epic. Um, But we'll do it by having the son of the original Starman um, and not the first son because the second... (laughs) The other son, uh, David, has already appeared in the other Starman comic. And, um, you know, and the first issue basically kills off David straight away. Yeah, R.I.P. David. Yeah, the first first panel. (laughs) Yeah, and you end up with um, the Starman who doesn't want to be Starman becoming Starman, so... Yeah, Jack. Um, and Jack is uh, he's he's quite a nuanced character. I mean, yeah. he's not even entirely admirable all the mm-hmm. way through, is he? No, no, he's not. And that's the
1: thing I think that separates this book. I, I, I've said this before. Starman my favorite book of the 1990s. And in fact, it redeems that entire decade for me in, in a very real way, because, you know, the first part of the 90s. Comics had gone very image and image was great for the industry, you know, promoting creator rights and promoting creator on books. But I wouldn't say the best comics were coming out of the early image office and Marvel and DC weren't putting out great books. And I had been a diehard collector in the 80s and I was really, you know, sort of tapering off in the 90s as the quality went down. And I found my way to Starman a little late. I read Golden Age and then I was like, oh, my God. Like what else is this guy writing? And I came to Starman. I think after the first arc, it was right when he goes to the freak show and he meets Mikael oh, Thomas. Yeah. And then I filled, you know, it was like issue seven or eight, and I back filled really quickly. But the the thing about Jack Knight for me is he is a a fully realized character from page one. Like like Robinson knew exactly who he was, uh, down to his his peccadillos, down to the little things about him that are actually kind of pretentious and a little bit annoying yeah. even to the reader. I mean he's he's such a pop culture head that he's sort of pompous about it. like there's a great moment later in the book when Sadie, his girlfriend calls him out on that and he even makes a pop culture reference during it. but it's it's it just makes him so nuanced and realized and then there's a real interiority to him. Robinson gives him such a distinct voice and we're in his head. I mean this book is so driven by his perspective and his thoughts and his view. It's almost and and I don't it's not a direct equivalent because they're very different characters but it's it it reminds me a lot of a comic book version of Catcher in the Rye where when you read Catcher in the Rye you are in Holden's brain from word one and you are locked in there with him until the end of the book and whether you love him or hate him or love or hate the book you know who he is and and Starman feels the same way as a comic book it feels like You know, because it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, that's another thing that's really unique about it. It was a, you know, a a serialized comic book set in the DC universe that was allowed to end. It you very much feel like you know Jack, and he's just cool. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like, I don't know how Robinson and Harris pulled this off, but he is just a really cool person who you're like, I would love to know that guy, you know? And, and that's a hard thing to do, right? I mean, when you try to write a character who's cool, 90% of the time it's going to fail, you know, especially if, you know, you're a, a middle-aged comic book writer. I mean, just take a look at early Teen Titans issues or, you know, early X-Men issues in the <laughs> 60s. But it's, it's, it really, he he just is such a fully realized character from page one that I, you know, it it hooked me. Immediately, it reminded me, honestly, of Sandman. My experience with with Neil Gaiman, Sandman, because I got into that book at issue eight, which is the the sound of her wings. It's the famous issue issue with death when she first appears. Because the woman who ran the comic book store I went to, we you know we had struck up a nice friendship, and she she was like, "You're so stupid." She's like, "You you buy these big two books. You buy anything with Spider-Man on it, you buy anything Avengers." She's like, "You are missing the best thing in comics right now," and I've been telling you about it. And she's like, just read this comic. And so I read issue eight in the in the shop, and I was like, oh my god. And I was like, well, I don't know if I can afford the back issues. And she's like, you idiot! I saved them for you, even though I knew you, even though you ignored me, I knew you'd want them. So, oh, which wow. was really cool, right? Like that's why I went to that shop. She was amazing. And so it reminded me of that because I had heard enough rumblings about Starman being really good, but I hadn't made the Robinson connection. And then once I did, I went back and got the issues, and it just that book hits the ground running. And it immerses you in that family in a way that I just I I don't know another book. I mean, it it is a truly unique reading experience. And did you have? I mean, were you hooked from the beginning? Did you really tap into Jack right away?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I um, bought it from the zero issue and went all the way through. So um, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, I mean, I have lent the series to a couple of people and not have them react to it oh. well. And I think part of it is, they've, I mean, it's it's after the fact, so there is an element of, uh, at the time, it was, whoa, this is amazing, yeah. you had to be there. Um, but also, I mean, some people said, oh, it's, it's, it's Vertigo stuff, I don't like this Vertigo style art and everything. But I think what those people lack that you and I had is... The love of DC legacy, <laughs> with this, the series is just steeped in yeah. that. Like if you, if you are a long time DC reader, or not even long time, but just an appreciation of the what came before and what came, you know, what, you know the the names being carried on through things like you know Infinity Inc. Mm-hmm. and all the way up to the JSA by Jeff Johns. You know, this really just scratches an itch, and it does something that uh, you didn't really see much, and that was, you know, you saw it in the golden age was it takes it seriously you know it doesn't say this was just you know throw away garbage for kids it's a you know these were real characters in the 40s with real problems and you know the issues those faced um so this builds on that and you know the first issue is oh well this is pretty good and you know i think issue three or four by then you're just all in because you know the 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 legacy has hooked you and everything but I think you need to, you need to like the DC universe Mm -hmm. to enjoy it. You know, I I think if you don't have that, it's probably a hard read. Um, And I was really surprised when people would dismiss it that way. But it's so textured. And, you know, one of the things uh, that I think sets James Robinson apart from many other writers is um, the more he writes, the happier I am. Like, um, there's text pieces in the back of the comics, you know, and quite often when you come across a great big chunk of text in a comic, it's like, oh, I've got to read this to get the full experience and justify purchasing this. But his stuff is just a delight to read. I mean, it's a wonder this man has never written a novel uh, that I know of, uh, because I love reading his writing. You know, And, uh, yeah, he did so much stuff, and I think it's an incredibly influential series the way it's, you know, sort of shaped the DC universe afterwards. And, you know, I think... All the stuff that makes Jeff Johns Jeff Johns isn't there unless you get James Robinson doing. Oh, it first. absolutely. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think I think you've really hit on it.
1: It's a Vertigo book that is all about DC Universe legacy. I mean, it's it's the two aesthetics brought together in a way that I don't you know I don't think any other book has done successfully. And there was a lot of that spirit around at that time. the 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 mid to late '90s are a really fun time for DC. Like I love the Tom Pei or Rags Morales Hourman book. That comes out, oh, yeah. You know, so yeah, a little bit after that, and it is, you know, I think it's it's very influenced by Starman in that it's trying to do the same thing. It's taking a Golden Age name and and building this, you know, millennia legacy around it. But it's funny and quirky and and weird, and yeah, it's it's Tony Harris. I don't think can get enough credit because his art is so distinct, and his faces are just the most interesting. Like he has such great character acting in his work. And his faces are like Jack always looks like he has a recently broken nose. You know, there's just <laughs> something really he draws people who are beautiful, but he draws ugly, beautiful. And, and it's really interesting. It, it reminds yeah. me of not in style, but in, in sort of substance. It reminds me of like Steve Dillon, a really good, you know, rooted artist who, who draws great um, can, can draw any any genre and can do it really well. And just as a great storyteller. And it's a moody book. It's an atmospheric book. But at the same time, you're right, it is so steeped in legacy that it connects even you know, Prince Gavin from Adventure Comics and Mikhail Thomas from a one-shot you know, DC comic in the 70s that was a joke to everybody else, to Will Payton, and then even pushes it to the future with DC 1 million. And it really does – it creates this tapestry, and that's what I think Robinson and Harris – it was more than just a comic book. It was a, an experience – because you had this really immersive character, really immersive art that, that was very beholden to a style and it was not going to let that style go. Because even when Harris leaves the book and they replace him with Peter Snedgberg, he's very much in that same style. And yeah. and then there's the the backup, you know, diary from the shade. So you're immersed in that in prose and everything around that book, from the refusal to have a costume to the way that even his dad Ted is depicted is it's just it's really fascinating because that book was more about I think layers than anything else about really layering this world so that Opal City felt real and the and the na- neighborhoods felt real the characters you meet feel real and it's funny because I think that you you really nailed it the JSA book that we all love from the late 90s through to the you know mid 2000s Could not exist. I mean, Jack Knight is the impetus for that book, right? It's the Starman is successful. So it kicks off the Goyer and Robinson JSA run, which Johns eventually comes into. But Jack is not overwhelmingly a huge part of that book. And so it's really interesting when you look back at it. I almost forget that he's in that team because there's so much respect at DC for what Robinson and Harrison Snedgeberg are doing that when the minute Robinson says like, no, I'm going to pull him back and then we're going to wrap this series up. DC's like, okay, cool. We're not going to touch him moving forward. So it's, it's a, it's a funny, it's yeah. a funny experience. I mean, do you, do you have fond memories of him in that JSA
0: book? Not really. No, he, he's, he's just, he's not integral to it. Um, mm-hmm. he's there because it's important. I mean, I always think of the deal that, um, uh, Robinson got with Starman is, is we call it the game and clause where you can't yeah. do things without <laughs> <laughs> the blessing of the creator. Um, and, it, you know, it's really... There are, like, so few appearances of Jack Knight outside of the series mm-hmm. by other people. And, you know, uh, like, uh, he's at uh, Hal Jordan's funeral in Greenland Lantern 81, and he's uh, in a one-shot J- JLA special uh, called Welcome to the Working Week, which is written by Patton Oswald and things like that. <laughs> and all of them are sort of... Um, you know, he's not integral there. He's just there being a hipster, basically, yeah. and chatting to, about collectibles with someone... <laughs> Uh, and I think he showed up a little bit in Martian Manhunter, but as part of the JSA. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was always uh, already the legacy thing in place. I mean, uh, the Stargirl, um, Stars yeah. and Stripes series is sort of another legacy addition to um, Starman. And the, the zero issue of that was written with uh, Robinson and Johns. So, you know, this was sort of Johns's first um, ongoing at DC, and, you know, Robinson was there to hold his hand at the start. Um, yeah, but uh, it's interesting because yeah, Jack is a real. Um, I think he's he, he's sort of a cross between Tony Harris and um, James Robinson as yeah. far as you know what they're into, what they look like, etc. You know, having some cool tats and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, a very distinctive character, and you know, as you said, a, you know, a quite quite flawed. You know, not perfect. Um, in Australian terms, a bit of a wanker sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, you know, and you see it sometimes where, you know, someone mentions something and you want to say, yeah, yeah, I know that, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But you don't want to do it in such a way that they like, saying, yeah, 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 I'm cool, too. <laughs> but you, well, know, you don't want it's... people to think, I don't know about that. But, I mean, Jack <laughs> is all about
1: that. <laughs> well, he is. He has. He definitely has an aesthetic and he follows it, you know, religiously. But what I think is really interesting about him is, is he's also flawed in a way. Like when he first meets the Odairs, which is the, the family of police officers – in Opal City, that become major supporting characters. He immediately, he and Hope O'Dare immediately rub each other the wrong way. And he's like, and and she's like, you know, what? She kind of says something to him, and he's like, oh, you're a cop. She's like, yeah. And he goes, well, I don't really much like cops. And she goes, yeah, you give off that vibe. You're like, you seem like that kind of guy. And then there's a, a passing reference where Ted, his dad, the original Starman from the 1940s, is talking about Jack's childhood. And he's like, and there's this one time I don't like to talk about where they found him in a pharmacy he had broken into in the middle of the night. So there's this all this implication of like, you know, drug abuse. And he was a wild kid because his mom dies when he's young. And David, his older brother, is the upstanding one who wants to follow in his father's footsteps. And Jack is the really troubled one. And so, the, the you know, the great bit of storytelling there is that David is the one who ultimately fails. And I'll put an asterisk next to that because he gets, you know, big redemption in the end. But Jack is the one who has to sort of come to grips with, God, there, there's, I need to be this thing I've never wanted to be, this thing I've rejected and defined myself against my whole life. But I'm going to be it in my own way. I'm not going to be my dad's version of it. I'm not going to be David's version of it. But I'm also going to stop fighting against them. And I, I think that's so relatable, yeah. You know, for for so many of us because it's it's about finding your voice, right? It's about finding who you are. And sometimes you define who you are in opposition to something, which is just as bad as defining it in love of something, you know, it's, it's still not your own voice. And so that's, that I think is such a cool undercurrent, the, the family dynamics in this book, that's my other favorite part because they ring so true. Um, I, you know, his, his relationship with his dad, I uh, you know, I, I, I'm not some, I've collected comics my whole life and, and I'm a diehard collector of comics of, literally saved my life you know at, at different points but there are very few comics that have made me tear up the hit the funeral that ted knight spoiler sorry ted knight's funeral issue and not because of sadness but because of jack's who jack is in that moment and who he's become and him having to sort of put on the funeral that issue gets me in the heart every time
0: yeah, it sets up, you know, Jack's about to make a speech and then he just can't say anything. And, yeah. You know, you know, it's it's too much, it's too raw and he just says, he, he says, I'm sorry, I can't and just before he walks off he said, oh, Dad would like to thank you all for coming because he was yeah. polite like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just magnificent. It's a great moment. Yeah, I mean, and the series is full of great moments. I mean, like, as you said, Jack doesn't want to be the hero at first, but even if he doesn't want to be the hero, it, it's coming at him anyway. Yeah. You know, like, he, he has to just be by default. No no one else is going to deal with this stuff. And, uh, yeah, it, there's some really good setups there and build-ups and, you know, adventures. But they're all sort of based on the history of Starman or mm-hmm. the consequences of Starman. Like, the, the whole villain dynamic in this series is based on, you know, previous rivalries mm-hmm. uh, with his father and um the mist and you know so there's the legacy aspect there and you say you know there's a lot of father-son stuff there but also uh, you know um jack's departed, uh, late departed mother casts a long shadow in the series yeah and, you know you know i feel that in real life you know where there's you know there's been people who have passed on and just their absence affects your life mm-hmm. you know you um you think, oh, you know, they would have loved being with my grandkids and think, you know, being with their grandkids and stuff like that, and they've missed it all, and you know, so you really feel that too. So it's not just a a, a man comic in some ways. It's, you
1: know. No, no, not at all. But it's funny though because I think there is an interesting absence of of of, of multiple female characters at the core of the book in a little in a, in a way at, at the, in the beginning of it, and then over the course of the book you see that sort of energy filled in by the O'Dairs, by Hope, by, you know, and by the, the mom, I forget the mom from the Odairs. She's sort of the matriarch of the family. And then, you know, the, the Mist, you know, and she is a really complex villain. I mean, on paper, she is horrible. I mean, she sexually assaults Jack, you know, and she kills you know, the, the Justice League Europe and, you know, k- kills one of the Crimson Foxes and seems to kill Blue Devil for a bit. Uh, an amazing man. I mean, she is an awful, awful villain, but it's she's not somebody you can hate because you you read her interaction with her father and her family and who she is at the beginning of that series versus who she is in the in her very last panel. And it's I mean, it's one of those rare times where the villain gets as much growth as the hero. I mean, it really is. It's fascinating because they were both drawn into that life by their father's. And, and really had no other choice. I mean, the miss, she had no other path, right? And who, who else could she have been? And you're forced to ask that same question with Jack. Now, for Jack, it turns out to be positive, And then Jack has the agency and the right to walk away in the end, which is yeah. also fascinating.
0: And there's, I mean, it, it's a bit like a much more mature and nuanced uh, take on maybe the Jean loring situation from identity crisis where you know there's she's damaged and people recognize that and that colors the way they deal with her at the end it's not you know um you're a bad person and we want to take you down and put you in arkham asylum it's you know yeah. you you know you've been abused that you've uh you know taking on legacy in such an unhealthy way so yeah it's it's
1: fascinating because the it feels so lived in as a series that when you start, see, I, I think it's funny you said you gave it to folks, and some, you know, some people didn't like it, and, and maybe it was because it was from you know 20 plus years ago. I've reread it recently, and I feel like it really holds up. And and one of the things, one of the reasons I think it holds up so brilliantly is how much attention it pays to the supporting cast. That they're very real. They're characters you miss when they're not on the page. They're characters that you are you know, really upset when something happened, bad happens to them. And then you feel real joy, like, you know, during the Grand Grignal arc, you know, when Culp has taken over Opal City, you know, it's not Jack who saves the day. It's Jack and the O'Dares and, you know, the Sue and Ralph Dibney and Phantom Lady. It's, it's the shade. It's, it's all these characters who... Black have, Condor. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, Black Condor. Um, <laughs> it's all these characters who have been around and, you know, have been making Opal City feel alive. And when one of them dies, and one of them, you know, you really feel his widow's pain, and you know her too, and you met her before they got together. And you, so it's just, it's this really fascinating uh, book that, that it just does things so successfully that are so hard to do. In, you know, it's a slow burn at times, it's got funky art, it's got a huge supporting cast that gets a lot of attention and is well developed. You know, it's got a flawed main character. It's just there's so many things that could have gone so wrong with it. But it really is this just perfect, you know, 80, what is it, 82 issues of a series. It's it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Were you involved in uh, the DC message boards at the time when it was coming out? Or?
1: No, I, I'm a little bit of a Luddite. I, I'm i about 10 years behind technology. It's, it's really the story of my life. Anytime something new and cool comes out. I look around and go, I don't need that, and then I get it ten years later and go, how did I live without that? And so, uh, (laughs) so no, I was not on the message
0: boards. Were they? Was there a big Starman presence? There, there was. Yeah, James Robinson would pop in a lot at the start and answer questions. I mean, he had, um, uh, yeah, he was you could tell he really cared about the book and um the attention and there was a lot of um i I would say really healthy speculation about the series and you know we at the time we had you know it was a bit similar to the podcasting community now for me was you know the 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 starman message board community back then so Mm -hmm. you know and there's a couple of people i've kept in contact with from those days um yeah but uh it's very exciting that you know there were mysteries in the series and where it was going and there were there were always hints of where things were going you go oh shit i hope it doesn't go there because it sounds horrible um <laughs> you know like the the death of um ted is yeah. telegraphed really early in the series you know and you go oh no that's coming up and then it just becomes i guess it's like life you know you know that your parents are going to die at some point mm-hmm. but, and you can see it coming um But yeah, it it was really, it was thriving at the time. It was one of the, it was the best experience at the time. We even, uh, we started doing this thread about what songs would, um, you know, are inspired by Starman and we started a mixtape. Oh, that's awesome. someone would record a song and then send it to someone else on the board and I think it like made it four songs before it never went anywhere and someone would really cool, have a cassette though. player yeah but um you know there were you know this song is inspired by Turk County and things like that so <laughs> yeah but geographically it's a really important series too for DC like uh, yeah. Robinson said one of the charming things about DC was it's fictional cities and he wanted to create a really um vivid one for that and that became a, re- a character in the series, basically, the oh, importance yeah. of opal City, uh, particularly for the shade and you know things like that. Well, and the connection,
1: you know to John Valor, you know the the haunted pirate, I mean, and just these obscure you know pieces of d c. lore and, and tying some of them to opal City. I mean, Solomon Grundy's a a major figure in this book in a very different way, you know, for much of it. and and it's, I, I cannot separate Jack Knight from Opal City. In the same way, I couldn't separate Batman from Gotham City. Like Robinson really crafts that tight a connection, and he plays with it in a really fun way because things can happen to Opal City that can't necessarily happen in other, you know, if you set it in New York or you set it in Phoenix, you know, you set it in real places. I guess not Australia because DC destroys Australia all the time, but um, you know, it's kind of kind of an annual event. But it it definitely is another character in the book, which is is. Brilliant. And it's a lot of that, again, goes back to Harris, because the way he draws Opal City, it feels like a mix of like San Francisco, New Orleans, you know, kind of the um, gothic part of big cities where there's always Pasadena. There's
0: a bit of Pasadena in there. I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. And, and you know, it's really interesting to me, too, is is to think about the arc of Robinson, his career, because when you mentioned Jeff Johns, it's funny, this popped into my head. You know, there is no Jeff Johns without James Robinson, right? And James Robinson, you know, is writing Golden Age and writes Starman and, and JSA, and then Johns comes in and picks up that whole legacy baton and really runs with it. And Robinson's the one who sort of goes awry. I don't know. Did you did you read his Airboy series? His it's, it's a, I sure did, yeah. Yeah, it's a four-issue miniseries from, I think it was from Image, and I, I can't remember the artist's name right now. I'll, I'll look it up. But... It is um, Greg Smallwood, I think. It, oh my, is it Greg Smallwood? Oh, uh,
0: is it? Thank oh my god!
1: I that's I I will be shocked if it's Greg Smallwood that I blinked that. No, off. it's not.
0: Greg's Greg's around there. Yeah, because
1: I was like, he's one of my favorite artists. He is, uh, yeah, he's an amazing artist. So it's um it's a fascinating series. Uh, it's oh Greg Hinkle.
0: Greg Hinkle.
1: So uh, <laughs> it's, it's Greg. Greg. Yeah, I got yeah, that right. you wrong. Know, comic book artist named Greg. I mean you you know, but it's a fascinating four part series that has nothing to do with Airboy at all so if you love the character I actually would recommend not buying it if you love the character it is very much four issues of James Robinson exploring what drugs did to his career and you know what what some of his choices as he started garnering fame and acclaim really did to him and examining sort of who he is yeah. as a person and, and who he wants to be and it is it's not for everyone <laughs> And I will say, <laughs> in reading it the first time, I was like, what the hell is it? I mean, there are there are more wieners in this book than there are in a backyard barbecue. It, it's So it's, it's not for everybody necessarily. <laughs> but I will say, as, and I'm going to connect it back to Starman, in a weird way, I actually see this as a, as a spiritual coda to Starman because I think this is Robinson as – Jack Knight, because I think there was a lot of Robinson and Jack Knight, gone awry, like kind of got high on his own supply. Like If if Jack hadn't decided to hang it up at the end of the book and go to live with Sadie and raise their kids and give up the life and been very comfortable doing it, if he hadn't gone on this arc of growth and maturity, this is sort of the path he could have gone down. And so it's really interesting because I'll read this book every few years just out of sick fascination. And it it always reminds me of Starman. And I don't know that people are going to agree with me that it's a a weird sort of spiritual successor to it. I'm curious to see what you think. But it is an interesting thing to read in light of his career.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things I've – I mean, being very attentive to James Robinson's career, there's a lot of – wreckage in his career yeah <laughs> like like he was really i mean i remember one week there were six comics on the stands in one week written by him you know mm-hmm. i think it was leave it to chance there was legends of the dc universe there was fire there the starman so all these things were coming out like and he was doing stuff for wildstorm he was everywhere and yeah. all his early stuff is fantastic and then there's a point in his career where it all seems to fall apart mm-hmm. and i um I think that's with the death of uh, Archie Goodwin. I think he was oh. a mentor and incredibly yeah. important to James. Um, speculation, but it's pretty well-informed. It was It Yeah, everything seemed to go off the rails, and he lost a lot of enthusiasm. You could see it on the message boards where it became less frequent. Mm-hmm. Um, that also sort of coincided with Tony Harris not wanting to do the space arc, so yeah. Tony Harris wanted to leave the book, and then he had to find a new artist, and then... Um, he had an ink. Uh, he hired Snayberg, and or the editor did. I think Peter Tomasi took it over towards the end. And um, Snayberg uh, had a different art style, and he was always used to doing his own inks and pencils. And then there was this awkward time in the book where you had a an inker as well for Snayberg, who didn't really mesh with Snayberg. Yeah. And then you know finally you had. Um, and that was all about you know making sure the inker wasn't out of a job, basically, because Tony Harris left. Um, so uh, that was uh, Wade Von Graubadger, which is one of the best names in comics ever, um, <laughs> if I recall correctly. But uh, yeah, once Snayberg was doing all his own art, it sort of got back in step. But yeah, I felt like um, James Robinson lost a bit of, um, I don't know, joy in his writing at that point. And most of what he wrote after that was just not as good. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> After it's the not. end of Starman. Yeah. So, I mean, and I I follow his career avidly. Like, when he writes something, I always want to check it out. Um, I used to religiously buy everything he gets. Now, I, I don't do that so much. But he's not writing much at the moment. I mean, you know, he is part of uh, the Stargirl writing team um, and a producer there, which is um, warms my heart to see him doing so well. But, yeah, I mean... There was, I mean, I know he's had ex-wives and all that sort of stuff, and there's been a his life has been a personal mess. So when I read Airboy, I go, "Oh, this makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) you you know, this explains a lot." And you know, it, it, yeah, I I feel like Archie Goodwin was someone who kept him in love with comics, and without Archie, there was, um, you know, a lot of pain there. So it's interesting because.
1: Like you, you know, I was I was a big fan and his early stuff is I I I I was trying to think of another writer in comics or another creator in comics who just burned that brightly. I mean Golden Age is one of the great books of the of the nineties, right? I mean, it's considered yeah. if you look at the top ten comics of the nineties, Golden Age is always in there, Starman's always in there. I mean, it's not many people who have like a Hall of Fame first seven years and then just really peter out. And and I it's funny because I've given his more recent stuff a chance, honestly, because of Airboy. <laughs> After reading Airboy, I went, well, this is the weirdest comic I've ever read, but it's also maybe the most honest, and it's yeah. maybe the rawest. And I the courage it took to write and put this out, like, hell yeah. Like, I'm going to support this guy again. Like, I want to see what's up with him. And it's been a mixed bag. You know, some of the stuff I've really liked. He wrote an Invaders series. Uh, for Marvel that I thought was really strong. You know, and some of it hasn't been. He did a a, a good arc in Batman, uh, but then it got kind of um, messed up by editorial, you know, crossing over with stupid Year of the Villain stuff. But you could see, and even in interviews, you could kind of see him talking about, like, he had come out the other end of it, and now he was coming back to comics, and there was a joy and a love, and he was kind of remembering what he loved about it. You know, I, I don't know that the The intensity is there or like, you know, I mean, Starman was is was unique. It's kind of like Chris Claremont on X-Men. You know, I mean, there are other Chris Claremont comics I enjoy, but there's nothing like Chris Claremont in that first X-Men run. And it's the same thing with Robinson on Starman. But it's I just wanted to to bring it up because I do think for people who are fans of him or his career, it's it's worth reading, you know. And also, if if you just want to read an unflinching look at somebody destroying their own life and then realizing it. Uh that's a, it's a it's an interesting series. I still couldn't tell you three things about Airboy. <laughs> I, I <laughs> literally couldn't tell you his name, the name of his love interest, who he's fighting. I I literally couldn't tell you anything about Airboy, but it's the that mini is is fascinating.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's the honesty of it that's Yeah. Um, yeah. Cuz he he really is just so brutally honest about his career and his love life and everything. And you get that a bit in in Jack Knight, you know, the fact he has girlfriends at the start of the series and they're not that important to him. You know. Yeah. It's just someone to spend time with, you know, when he needs them. And, uh, you know, so the, the series is about maturing and becoming, you know, your own man after, you know, being, being an adolescent and, you know, treating people a bit cavalierly, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. When he's, he's sort of a perpetual adolescent in the beginning, right? You know, like you said, that so focused on what's cool and focused on, you know, his aesthetic. And, and there is a, there's a, there's a juvenile nature to it in a way that over the course of the book, as he and Ted are working on building a relationship, you know, he sees his dad differently, his dad sees him differently, and then he can then see himself differently because he's not living with the ghost of the great Ted Knight. And it definitely, it's it, it is it is really interesting because it, I mean it sticks the landing in a way. Well, I mean most series don't get to land, right? They don't you don't get to have a a third act, and so that's unique as it as in, on its own. But even in runs uh, on a book where a creator does get to do sort of a definitive ending to their run, you know many creators struggle to stick the landing, and this book does it in a way. You know when he makes the decision. And spoilers again, but, you know, the mist has given him their child right before she dies. And then Sadie has written him and said, hey, I left you because the superhero life is too dangerous, but I'm pregnant and I'm in San Francisco and I want you to come live with me and stop being a superhero and I want us to be a family. And he makes a decision to drive out to San Francisco with his son and go with Sadie. And, and that's a really nice touch because Sadie is Will Payton's sister, and she was a major character in the Starman book in the late 80s. You know, a beloved character, actually, one of my favorite characters in that book. So that's a nice touch already. But that moment is so earned that you're like, yeah, yeah, this was the only way it could have ended. Like this is the only way that made sense. And, and I'm really thankful to DC that there's not a Starman 83, right, or that there's not yeah. a – Starman Jack Knight Starman volume 2 by whoever the hot writer was at the time or you know and, and that they haven't that they've really respected that character and left that as a a unique blip in DC Comics history where you know a, a mainstream superhero comic steeped in legacy got to tell a full story walk away and then nobody's poked the bear after
0: Yeah I, now I there's a couple of other things I want to raise about the series it was um James Robinson was a genius when it came to crossover issues, mm-hmm. like when he had to tie into a, an event. Um, there's several in the series. I think there's uh, Underworld Unleashed. There's Genesis is in oh, there. There's, yeah. <laughs> the uh, what's the other one? There, I think there's a couple more. But um, yeah. He, oh, one million, one million. That's yes. a big one.
1: That, and that's yeah. the most.
0: That's the one that's, that
1: stands out. I mean, his DC one million issue was is brilliant.
0: Yeah, and. When you read most people's tie-in issues that are mandated by editorial, you get the impression they're just groaning and, you know, sighing and, you know, begrudgingly write it. Was he always took uh, the most opportunity to make the best of it? Mm -hmm. Like, his um, tie-in issues are better written than just about anyone else's ever. Like, he always, you know, pushes his story forward, does character pieces about um, his... uh, main people you know and contrast them with what's going on and so there's always something important in there they're not just tossed away or you know distractions from the direction of the series they're really well integrated so i really appreciated that about them and you know even spinning out a zero hour you know the fact that the issue starts with a zero hour zero issue as it were um you know and it, he's just doing his own thing and sets it all up and you know the story is rolling but, it, you know, it acknowledges what needs to be acknowledged and just keeps moving on. And it, it's really well done. Yeah, it's funny. I
1: always forget that it's spun out of Zero Hour because it has no connection to it. I mean, there's, no. there's <laughs> and, you know, and look, I'm I'm a, a faithful listener to the Zero Hour Strikes podcast on Fire and Water and Siskoid and Bass. It's a great show. I love that show. And they're starting to get to the zero issues. And at one point they covered a real stinker. And Siskoid said to Boss, like, hey, don't worry, we've got some good ones coming up, like Starman. And I was like, Starman. And I was like, oh my God, that did come out of Zero. <laughs> like, I, like I remember Fate Zero. You know, I remember some of the, you know, anima. I remember some of the real, like, oh, this is this is bad. And so it cracks me up when I will see that old ad from the zero hour book launching all the new titles. And you see Jack with the staff flying, and you're like, wait, what? Because yeah, it doesn't <laughs> it's so bizarre because for a book that is is theoretically launched by a crossover. It has nothing to do with the crossover. It doesn't even acknowledge it. But then, like you said, it does a brilliant job with future crossovers and then weaves itself into DC Comics history so seamlessly. I always think about the Genesis crossover because Genesis is the worst event in the history of comics. And, and I was your uh, semi OCD on that episode of DC OCD, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> it was it, it was it was incomprehensible. Yeah, you know, reading it at the time. But then when I went back and read it for the show, I was like, what? I, I can't even like this is I was I, I couldn't even hate read it, but I was really angry at it. And I felt like John Byrne was just sticking his thumb in my eye the whole time. And so I, I was like, I'm like, what fond memory do I have? Because I remember going like, oh, I remember Genesis. And it was totally the Jack Knight issue because he's fighting the like the mad bomber, what bombs at midnight from the tick, basically. <laughs> and, and this, you know, staff goes out, like the power goes out. And I remember really loving those issues because they're really creative the way that they have to sort of get out of that situation. And I was like, oh, this is literally the only thing good that came out of Genesis. <laughs> like nothing else of value came out of Genesis. So, so yeah, so kudos to James Robinson for having the one bright spot in what is, I mean, it's scientific, right? Even on your ladder, wasn't Genesis the lowest? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> th- yeah, it has that honor. It is the uh, the wooden spooner. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it was so bad, but yeah, it was brilliant. And then for me, the the DC one million, because it's the Starman from one million, and it's where they establish that starmen are either heroes or villains or some mix of both. But and and it's like, well, you know, why is that? And that's when you, you figure out, oh, it's the mists, you know, sort of placement in the d like the 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 sun that they have that lineage starts and the because there's you know i mean it's a simplistic idea but it's really brilliantly done because there's an evil family and a good family some of the kids and grandkids and whatever who come out of that go different directions and even that is such a super cool idea because the the starman one million is basically he's a traitor like he's working with solaris the evil son but then if, if i recall correctly doesn't he do something really heroic in the like
0: surprisingly sacrificial in the end to help save the day. Yeah, I think he becomes a you know conscious of the legacy of it all and yeah should, you know pardoned it all and I think that uh, makes him do a, a, a turn from being a villain.
1: Yeah, just brilliantly done. I mean Robinson, you know, and, and Harris and Snay Sna- I kept saying Snedberger the that that book is so. It's so interesting too because the arcs are so different. Like like my favorite, I have, you know, some some favorite stories from this run. One of my favorites is the crossover with Sandman Mystery Theater, you know, with an older Wesley Todd and 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 Diane Nelson. Is it Diane Nelson? Or that might be the person who works for DC. I forget her (laughs) last name. Um, but anyway, Diane, his wife. And they're elderly. Um, and they go, you know, they still go on this adventure and they fight on a blimp. They fight somebody on. I mean, it's and it's such a fun. You know, it's a chance for, for Jack to see one of his dad's contemporaries and, like, look at the heroism of him and, and the nobility of him and then kind of see his dad a little differently because of it. And that's a brilliant story. And then the, the Grundy – you know, the Grundy that's in in Starman is – the there's a Russian roulette of Grundys, right? Whenever they resurrect and come back, they have slightly different personalities. And this is the one time Grundy comes back as, as kind. He's like a child, and Jack – he and Mikkel, you know, bond, and Jack bonds with them, and they become genuinely—they they genuinely care for each other. And then Grundy dies, and they go into the Green to resurrect him, and they can't find the good Grundy. And you know, Batman's in that arc, and Alan Scott's in that arc. And you know, I love that Jack gives Batman crap. He's like, "What's what's your attitude? Like, what's this whole gruff?" He's like, "No one's buying it, dude. Stop trying so hard." And Batman just <laughs> hates him. <laughs> That's awesome. So I I mean, I just I love it. And then even one of my favorite Will Payton stories is in there. I think it's Starman thirty seven or thirty eight. It's a times past issue, and it focuses on Will Payton chasing down these serial killers, the Bodines, and it shows just how out of his depth he is in a Jack Knight story, basically in like a Turk County, Opal City kind of story. You know, Will Payton belongs in bright and shiny Phoenix, and you know, big peanut butter and jelly costume, and you know, fighting with Power Girl. And and it's it's just so good. The character work is so good. You know, in I mean, in the end, my favorite is always going to be the funeral issue for his dad. That whole wrap up is is brilliant. But
0: what are your favorite stories or arcs from that book? I love the circus uh, two parter. Oh, um, yeah, you know that really opened the world of the comic. Uh, so the story, you know, at that point you go, oh wow, it's going to be not just one thing. It's not going to be Opal City crime fighting and you know uh, things like that. So it really gets into you know there's weirdness and there's evil and there's demons and all this sort of stuff being set up and uh yeah i love those two issues the art in there is just glorious i, mm-hmm. I have um i've got james robinson to sign them and i got uh, tony harris to sign them for. oh wow so That's I, cool. I took them overseas with me um so i love that art. to heroes con uh, <laughs> i heard you went to heroes con <laughs> <laughs> yeah no neither of them were at heroes con actually but uh, oh. <laughs> that was one thing was um being such a big james robinson fan i contacted him in um uh, 2013 and said i'm going to be in america is there any chance i could uh get together with you and i sort of played the you may remember me from the message boards and i had letters <laughs> published in you know you comics and things like that and he met me at um, isotope comics in san francisco wow. just on his you know personal time came out there that's yeah so cool. signed a whole bunch of comics that i brought with me from australia um you know it was and, it was just fantastic, I spent about half an hour That's
1: amazing that's really yeah, cool,
0: yeah, and that was before he vanished from social media, so uh, I' very privileged to do that um yeah, but i I think it was playing the Australian card really helped with that but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I remember that day because you know my family all went around Chinatown and I spent you know you know a good couple of hours at isotope comics just. Oh wow! I mean, James Robinson. So <laughs>
1: yeah, that's—I mean—that is really cool. That's a—I mean, I, I know I probably your fame as a letter writer in comics is you know, or or the first person in Australia to have the U.S. flag from from G.H.
0: Maybe the space shuttle. <laughs> it's I didn't still my the favorite flag.
1: story. Oh, the space shuttle. It's still literally one of my favorite stories I've ever heard on a podcast. Um, I you know, but that's really cool. I mean, I I like I like to hear things like that because I do root for the guy. And again, it's the weird Airboy mini. You can't read that and walk out of it and not go, I really hope this guy gets his crap together because – he really is brilliant. And, and, you know, we all make mistakes and, you know, his lasted a decade, which sucks, but it seems like he's pulling out of it now. And that's awesome. That's really cool. So, so what else? The two-parter with Mc, where they find Mikel. What else do you love?
0: Um, I love the, um, Times Past. I've always loved the Times <sighs> Past. They've always been such good stories that, you know, they do, you know, they're, they're just bonus golden age stories written really well with a, with a modern sensibility and a modern characterization. So, you know, they were always highlights for me and you you get real insights into the shade and you get insights into Mm -hmm. ted you know and just the stuff they're going through um dealing with the legacy of of, uh, ragdoll for one oh yeah yeah he's like um adult-sized chucky uh
1: Yeah. yeah yeah he's creepy he's legitimately terrifying in that comic
0: yeah so uh, i i just love all that texture and nuance and the the way it was built up so i was always excited when there was a times past and it was a brilliant use of the comic form was the fact that you want to tell these ongoing stories your artists can't keep up how do you Mm -hmm. solve that you tell a story in a different era get a, a different artist and some really good artists like john watkins and people like that and you know, just go to town on a on a story from the time. And yeah, they were always highlights.
1: Yeah, it's it's fascinating because they would, you know, they would mix the, uh, there would be a normal arc and then there would be a talking with David issue, which is Jack would all of a sudden be pulled somewhere and he'd be talking to his dead brother, David, who dies in the first page of, of Starman Zero, you know, the first issue. And, and those talking with David issues were fascinating because you get to see their relationship where they were really... They did not like each other, and and Jack was really horrible to David, and David not so great to Jack. And then that relationship gets to evolve over time, and and there's some really nice touches in there. There's one where they have dinner with dead JSA members. Yeah. And I remember the red bee and Jack being fascinated. Like, wait, you went, you fought Nazis and supervillains with bees in your belt? <laughs> and it took me back to the issue of All Star Squadron where Baron. Blitzkrieg murders the Red B in front of the Justice Society. It's one of the most brutal on-page hero deaths I've ever read and it like sparked me to go back to All-Star Squadron and then, you know, and JSA and and it just it connects, you know, 40, or actually more than that, years of of DC Comics but in a way that's done with so much sophistication that it's I don't it's it's so hard to describe but it really is it's a an a, a grand achievement, right? Like I think Yeah no matter what else he does in his career, you know, he, he's the guy who wrote star man. I mean, that's just going to be, I think that's, you know, I mean, not to get morbid. I think that's the first line of his obituary, right? Like it's, yeah. it's so brilliant.
0: I mean, there were some things where I think James Robinson just couldn't get out of his own way. And one of the things was, um, two things come to mind. It, I think the first time Jay Car- Garrett is appearing in the comic, he calls him Jay Garrett. Um, and it's oh. in the, sh- the shade telling a story and instead of you know like i think a normal writer would go oh let's just fix that in the trade yeah <laughs> um, he made it a plot point that the, you know the shade wasn't was having mental problems because of the interference of Culp um, uh uh-huh. you know and it's just stuff like you can just leave that alone it doesn't need to be explained and the other thing was early in the run of starman um uh, and we're coming back to John Byrne and his ability to uh, hurt people um, he did a, a Flash special story which had the shade in it and it was um, a goofy version of the shade like he had a shade mobile made of darkness and you know it was like an old um, jalopy and that sort of thing And oh shit yeah and that bugged James Robinson because he's like, I'm doing all this stuff with the shade, and John Byrne's come and done this, you know, shade story where he's just being an idiot, um, and then he incorporated that into this thing. And so, if if he just left that alone, no one would remember that yeah. John Byrne story. But you've made it a plot point now because it bugged you. <laughs> he does that another time where Shade and
1: Jack are talking, and Shade's talking about the Oscar Wilde book, the picture of Dorian Gray, and he says the portrait of Dorian Gray. Yeah. And and later on, Jack comes back and he goes, Hey. We were talking – it was like 25 <laughs> issues later. He's like, hey, remember we were talking that one time? He's like, you said portrait of Dorian Gray instead of picture of Dorian Gray. And Shade's like, Jack, don't be a pompous ass. Everybody makes that mistake. And I remember chuckling like, oh, that's a funny little you know thing to the letter writers who were like, hey, you got that title wrong. But they, you're right. It turns into a plot point because it was Culp who secretly said it wrong. It was like – I mean and it is – it's weirdly self-conscious, yeah. but it's also charming in a way. It's part of the charm of the book. I mean look, I'll acknowledge – that for me the book sags a little bit in that Grand Guignol arc. I mean, I think it's like I don't know how many fifteen parts. I mean, it's 16, it's a really yeah, it's a really long arc. The end is brilliant, and there are brilliant moments within it. But I, you know, month to month, when I was collecting the book, I was like, oof, wow, we're still in this arc. Like this, this is really yeah. going. Like this is you know. And I think that is that is the the part where Snayberg you can really see the. The Harris Snayberg trans you know transfer and Snayberg hasn't really hit his groove and but but still it's you know there's so many great moments and there are great like Ralph and Sue moments in that arc which are are, are so much fun it's the only time I've ever liked
0: Black Condor yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is a, a masterpiece and you know I think if you love DC Comics and you haven't read it you, then you will really find it rewarding it will give you something that um, you, you're missing and. Yeah, and I think the influence, of, I mean, we touched on that before, it's so influential as far as the approach people took. I mean, it, people learnt how to do fill in artists in their books because of Starman. Yeah. Um, you know, and James Robinson's collaborators, so many of them gone off to bigger and better things, like David Goya, you know, he picks and chooses which movies he wants to write in the superhero universe. Mm-hmm. And Jeff um, Johns is Jeff Johns, so, you know, but uh, I mean, I, I love that. James Robinson's involved in the Stargirl series and the fact that the Shade's been in the late, latest series mm-hmm. of, of that has just been wonderful. And it's fantastic to, to see the, the Shade appreciated, you know. I said to my wife, you know, I said, do you like that, you know, Shade character? She said, he's so good. You know, like the show is missing something when he's not in the show. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, he said, well, that's, that's what was in the comics. It was the same deal. And, uh, yeah, there's... And, you know, you even see it in the structure, like, um, Starman is a man, he's he's on his own, he's a superhero, but he's got his data support, and then, gradually, he just gathers all and more people around him to support him in the show, and the, that's what they do in, um, you know, TV shows like The Flash, you know, he has this mm-hmm. whole support crew of characters, and, you know, you get more characters involved who can be in danger and, you know, uh, solve problems and things like that, so... Yeah, I mean, there's so much there to talk about and we've barely touched it. You know, the, we, we've we hardly talked about the Odairs and all the reincarnation aspects and, you know, yeah. the poster demon and all this stuff, but it, it's wonderful. Uh, the Superman story and the, uh, the way that interacts with the Superman's uh, origin. Uh, yeah, it, it's rich. It's really rich and it's really rewarding. So if you think you like the DC Universe legacy, then... Um, you know, you'll love this. And uh, it's being reissued now in uh, Giant Compendiums, I believe. So mm-hmm. get on that. I mean, it's a series. I bought all the issues. I think I bought all the trades. And then I bought all the omnibuses. So um, I gave my trades away. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a great series in that regard. And, and more and more people need to discover it. And I, I think it's an evergreen. I think DC should yeah. keep it in print. Um, but if you're not sure if you really want to dip in, just get The Golden Age, read The Golden Age. And if you like yeah. that, you're, you're in. I mean, I find a lot of writers have affection for that sort of period, the historical period, um, but they approach it with a cynical eye. Like, I think Howard Chaykin springs to mind, whereas, you know, he oh, yeah. really, really likes, you know, the 40s and 50s and stuff like that. But he has this cynicism and it doesn't seem to have the affection that James Robinson has. Like, um, James Robinson loves these people and, and you love them too because of the way he writes them. So. Yeah, but um, yeah, great stuff, and uh, yeah, thank you, Sean, so much for talking about it with me. Anything else you want to add before we wrap on Starman?
1: No, just I, I would echo your sentiment. I think it is an evergreen book. I think it's worth reading. I, I would just add, if you loved the JSA of the late '90s and early 2000s, that that really famous, you know, Robinson, Goyer, Johns run. I, I think it's I think it's one of the top five books of the 21st century. Then Starman's almost must reading. Like it's it's almost a a prequel or sort of compendium to it, and uh, I mean, that's not the reason to read it. It's actually a brilliant series on its own. But if, if you're a big fan of that book and you want more of that, I would suggest going back to it. And then I actually just want to give a big shout out to you and actually to our buddy Shag. You guys had had said on Twitter and other places, you know, about how good the Star Girl series is, and I had had just missed it just because of life, right? Just because of life and time, I had missed it, and I didn't feel any real urgency to watch it. And then um, Shag and I covered the Stargirl Spring Break special, which is how they're kind of bringing the JSA back in DC Comics in Modern Continuity, which was a ton of fun and connects, you know, to Jack Knight because she's got the staff. And he was like, you really need to watch the show. And I watched, you know, season one and it is delightful. It's so good. I'm I'm so glad this is on the air. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited because I think DC, because of the success of Stargirl, And because of people like us clamoring for it, you know, the JSA is coming back soon to the DC universe. And so, you know, I don't want Jack Knight to come back with it. I want him to stay, you know, like you said, the Gaiman clause in the contract. But I I really do think the DC universe is better with legacy. And this is the, you know, one of the three best examples of that in DC comics. Yeah.
0: All right, Sean, what have you got going on? You're doing podcasts and stuff. Where do people find you, and uh, where can they interact with you?
1: Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. I always love when we get a chance to talk, and uh, this was especially fun. We, I, I'm on Twitter at Sean42AZ. It's S-E-A-N-4-2-A-Z. I um, am on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. I have a show called The Never Ending Reading Pile with Gregor Rougeau. Where we cover comics and characters that we love. Uh, we we covered Will Payton Starman on a recent episode. If you want to check that out, I'm also co-host of the Bat Pod with Bill Beer, where we talk about all the new Batman comics that are coming out. And even though there's a very justifiable complaint that 45% of DC's line is Batman, it's also the best stuff coming out from DC Comics. It's brilliant. It's unbelievably good, and so it's a lot of fun to talk about. And then, uh, you know, Doctor G and I were co-hosts of Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and Beyond. We covered every issue. Of every Secret Wars miniseries from Marvel and uh, had a ton of fun doing it. It was kind of our own little version of, of DC OCD. So thanks for having me on, man. This is great. Uh, because of you, I have every issue of Doom Patrol. I went back and filled in my collection because of you and mike and i actually started watching the doom patrol series because of you and mike mistakenly started watching it with my daughter <laughs> and then very quickly realized that was a mistake and removed her from the equation but <laughs> i am loving the show and i'm loving that you guys are back covering it so thanks for having me man i, I always get a, uh, joy getting a chance to talk
0: thanks sean and uh yeah follow me on waiting for doom we're, we're back doing the show as sean said Alright, thanks everyone and uh, see you soon on another uh, episode.